0: Hi, I'm Simon Drew and welcome to the Practical Stoic Podcast, where I dive deep into the ancient philosophy of Stoicism. If you find value in this podcast, then you can become a patron by going to patreon.com forward slash Drew. Otherwise, you can head to simonjedrew.com to find my writings, my music, and also information about my one-on-one coaching. But apart from that, I hope you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Practical Stoic Podcast. So in today's episode, I'm bringing to you another uh, installment from my Seneca series. Uh, And this is part three of a few episodes that I'm doing about Seneca's thoughts on learning how to die. Uh, So I'll I'll let my past self introduce that when I bring the episode in. Uh, But a few things to watch out for over the next couple of weeks. So uh, this week I had a conversation with Steve Carafit from the Sunday Stoic. Uh, and uh, and so if you listen to that podcast, which I highly recommend that you do, he'll probably be releasing that episode soon. Uh, he's doing a similar thing that I'm doing with the Seneca series, but he's doing it with Epictetus' Enchiridion. And so we discussed chapter 31, I believe it was, uh, of the Enchiridion there. So it went deep uh, and we had such a great conversation with him. And I, I can't wait for him to release that because I'm sure that you guys will really enjoy that conversation. And then next week, I'll be releasing my conversation that I had last night with Irene Regini from Satura Lunx, which is her YouTube channel where she teaches people how to speak Latin. And so she's been diving into Seneca's texts for a long time, but reading them in their native tongue, right? The native language of, of, of Latin. And uh, she actually speaks a lot of Latin in this interview. She reads uh, the text in Latin, which is such a beautiful, stunning language. And uh, so she points out a lot of the stylistic choices that Seneca makes as well and a few things to look out for in translations. And we had a very fascinating conversation about uh, you know, Seneca's native language of, of, of Latin and, uh, and his style. So uh, that will also be useful for anybody who's diving into Seneca as well. And I, I'm looking forward to releasing that conversation for you. So anyway, before we jump into this episode, I just want to let you know that uh, there are almost 70 of these Seneca Series episodes available now on my Patreon, so if you do have the means to support the show and you'd like some extra content, hop over to patreon.com forward slash Simon J.E. Drew, and you can get a whole bunch of these episodes, uh, including three of these episodes every week, although this week I am behind for which I'm very sorry, <laughs> I'm getting onto that today. Uh, so anyway, without any further ado, I present to you Seneca on Learning How to Die, Part 3. Today I'm going to be rounding off my commentary on Seneca's fourth letter, where he's discussing essentially how we can learn how to die. And so, I'm going to be reading from verses 7 through to 9, and I guess we'll, we'll see where we end up. Hopefully, there's something useful in here uh, that I can add to the conversation, but there are definitely some very important passages here. So, Seneca says the following, quote, No man has ever been so far advanced by fortune that she did not threaten him as greatly as she had previously indulged him. Do not trust her seeming calm. In a moment, the sea is moved to its depths. The very day the ships have made a brave show in the games, they are engulfed. End quote. So I really like this passage, and I, I really enjoy Seneca's thoughts on fate, because what he's essentially trying to describe here is the structure of being and the universal laws to which we are bound as human beings. And one of those universal laws is that no matter how safe you think your life is, no matter how blessed you are, no matter how many gifts you have, and no matter how good life is for you, things can change in an instant. Things can change so quickly. And Seneca often talks about this when he's discussing fate, you know, this idea that we should really consider all of the terrible things that could happen to us in our lives all of the, the horrifying terror that could befall us, because the chances are at least one of those things that you think about is going to happen to you. You know, somebody you love is going to get cancer. Maybe you're going to get cancer and, and, and that will be the way that you die. Maybe you lose one of your children. You know, maybe you get into a car accident and all of a sudden you're a paraplegic for the rest of your life. Or maybe what happens is the entire world gets put into a state of lockdown because of a deadly virus and you lose your job and you've got to take care of your family. You know, that's a particularly horrifying situation that you might be faced with. And you may have already faced that. I know a lot of people have. And so so Seneca is saying here, listen, no matter how calm your life gets, remember how quickly things can change. That is the fate under which we are living. That is the law of the universe that governs our lives. And if you'd forget that law, then when those terrible things happen to you, you better watch out because you're not going to be prepared. And it's going to hit you harder than it would have hit you if you had have prepared your mind to be able to deal with the inevitable blows of fate which will befall us all. And another key aspect of Seneca's theory of this universal law that is kind of nested within this passage is the idea that the more you have, the more you have to lose. You know, the greater the gifts that fate has bestowed upon you, the more she has to take away, and she will take them away when she has the chance. And I think that that's that's not only useful to know, I think it's true. I think it's really true. I mean... uh, you know, when when you really have a good life going, you know, when, when things are just going great for you and, you know, hey, you've got the career you love, you're in a happy relationship, you've got the whole family unit going, you know, you're moving in a positive direction, it's extremely easy for us to forget that that could all be taken away in a matter of mere seconds. You know, and so the, what we have here really you know, one thing that we have to contend with as human beings is a massive hole in our perceptual awareness, which is that when things are really good for us, we don't look at all of the terrible things that could happen. Because what's the point? Hey, things are going well, you know, life's good, everything's going exactly how I want it to go. And and we know that we don't look at those problems because our mind is not necessarily wired to care about the things that aren't broken, right? And so, you're just going to be going along, doing your thing, living your good life, and all the while, you're going to be forgetting about the fact that that's actually not the normal state of people's lives. And all you have to do to learn that is to read history, and you'll see that 99.999% of people in all of the history of humanity had to deal with at least one terrible blow from fate which you know would 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 make anyone question whether this thing called life is worth it and so that's the true value in in the the idea that the stoics give us of you know this kind of negative visualization of the future this uh th- this idea that we should Imagine all of the possible and all of the impossible things that that fate could throw in our way in in this thing called life. Uh, So that if and when those terrible things happen, you know, we won't be so surprised and we might be able to deal with them forthrightly and honorably, as opposed to being caught unaware. So anyway, Seneca goes on to say, reflect that a highwayman or an enemy may cut your throat. And, though he is not your master, every slave wields the power of life and death over you. Therefore I declare to you, he is lord of your life that scorns his own. Think of those who have perished through plots in their own home, slain either openly or by guile. You will that just as many have been killed by angry slaves as by angry kings. What matter, therefore, how powerful he be whom you fear? when everyone possesses the power which inspires your fear, end quote. So, there's some really interesting and cool ideas that are nested within this passage that that we want to pick apart, but we also want to pick them apart in context of Seneca's life, right? Because not a lot of us can really, uh, y- you know, resonate with this fear of powerful people coming to kill us, right? Not a lot of us have, have that fear right at our fingertips, but But that's definitely something that Seneca could have very well understandably had, right? This fear that uh, the emperor or the powerful people who he knew... Uh, could at any time decide his fate and uh, and put the pieces together in order to uh, to murder him. And uh, this is just a state of the Roman politics at the time. You know, We know that uh, that there were some very questionable judgments around Seneca's life uh, from the emperor and uh, and from powerful people in his life. And when you were in politics in Rome, man, you really had to think about this sort of stuff. You had to be thinking, uh, who are the people who could potentially uh, within a few minutes decide my own fate? And so what Seneca is doing here is he's kind of maneuvering his way around this fear of, of death at the hands of a powerful person or an emperor by suggesting that, listen, it's not only the powerful people or the emperor who, who have this power to control my fate and to, and to, to be the person who inevitably kills me. You know, this could be anybody. Anybody has that power. Anybody who despises his or her life. Anybody who has a nihilistic, you might say, a nihilistic view of life has within them the power to control my fate. And so, he's kind of evening the playing field here and and recognizing that, uh, you know, this fear is kind of misplaced because at the end of the day, I don't know when I'm going to die, but I do know that everybody really has that power to force me into that situation, into the event of death. And there's an interesting relation, this idea to, say, the Jungian idea of the shadow. You know, this, this concept that we really need to encounter that part of ourselves that could do the greatest harm to other people that, that could act in a way that might be considered evil. And until you reconcile yourself to that fact that you just as much as every other human uh, have the potentiality within you to be a monster and that you are a monster, you know, th- then, then, then you're not actually going to fully understand who you are and what you are. You know, there's going to be something missing. And and there's a really good case to be made that if you don't know that you have that within you, then you're that much closer to actually allowing that part of yourself to manifest itself within your life. And so, back into what Seneca was saying, you know, he goes on to say that, you know, why would you fear a person because of how powerful they are when everyone possesses the power which inspires your fear, right? And so, he's restructuring the way that he's thinking about these fears and the way that we think about these fears, right? It's actually not the position of the person who you fear within the society. It's the fact that they possess that power, right, to actually be the decider of your fate. And what Seneca is saying here is that everybody possesses that power that that has inspired your fear. So Seneca continues to round off this idea by saying the following, quote, but you will say, If you should chance fall into the hands of the enemy, the conqueror will command that you be led away. Yes, whither you are already being led. Why do you voluntarily deceive yourself and require to be told now for the first time what fate it is that you have been long laboring under? Take my word for it. Since the day you were born, you were being led thither. We must ponder this thought and thoughts of a like nature, if we desire to be calm as we await the last hour, the fear of which makes all previous hours uneasy. End quote. So there's so much to unpack with this passage and all of the ideas that are contained within, but it might be useful to first have a discussion around the way that the Stoics saw fate and free will, because they definitely weren't determinists, you know, because they did believe that we have within us this spark of divinity that allows us to Uh, manifest ourselves in different ways in the world. And and they obviously believed that it would be better if we were to consciously decide to uh, feed our better natures more often than we feed our worst natures. But they also talked a lot about this thing called fate. And I want to offer you a way to think about fate that might be useful to you, uh, especially in the context of what Seneca is saying here. So I want you to take a moment to think about who you are. You know, your personality traits, you might have taken a test before. Uh, what are your characteristics? You know, what do people usually say about you as a person? Uh, how do you feel inside? Uh, what are the challenges that you deal with on an internal basis? And also, what are the, what are the successes that you've had because, uh, or maybe perhaps as a result of your your characteristics that you embody within yourself? Now, I want you to take a moment to also consider how many things had to happen in order for you to be the exact person who you are today. Because we often take this perspective that, you know, because we have free will, that means that we get to decide who we are. I mean, that's such a silly idea when you recognize that who you are is the result of millions of years of evolutionary processes. It's the result of the culture that you were born into. But not only that, you're actually the result of the countless variations of your culture which came before you, because if it wasn't for them, then you wouldn't be in this culture that you inhabit right now, or more accurately, which inhabits you. And who you are right now is also the result of the political system under which you are governed, and also the political systems that govern the rest of the world, because... I mean, who you are could change pretty quickly if another political system in the world decided to get pretty tyrannical and to try and take over the world. And who you are is also the result of the millions and millions and millions of people who actually went in and created those cultures or who created those political systems or who now work to keep them alive and afloat. And I'll give you a nice little example to think about uh, when you want to realize uh, just how interconnected everything is and how much you do rely on on everything that's happening around you and the, the, the causality of, of our existence you might call fate uh, in order to be who you are and to think how you think and to live the life that you live. So, what I like to often think about is just how many processes might go into, say, uh, me walking to the stores in the morning and being able to buy some eggs to cook for my breakfast. You know, first, you've got to think, okay, so you need a farmer. Uh, the farmer might need some finances so that he can actually buy all of the chickens and make the sheds and 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 actually have the chickens in order to you know get get those eggs out into the market. Uh, so he's going to need some finances, which means that he needs a banking system. He's also going to need somebody who can build the shed. He's also going to need some food for the chickens. So he needs more farmers to create the food for the chickens that then lay the eggs that get to go in your breakfast. Uh, he's then also going to need truck drivers who are going to get those eggs to the store. He's going to need a store to even sell to. There's going to need to be multiple people who are going to be negotiating the prices of those eggs and negotiating with the farmer Uh, then it gets to the store and you know obviously there's about a million processes that I didn't even mention but then you've got to have the people who are working in the store to put the eggs where they should be so that you know exactly where to get them when you go into the store and you've got to have the person who checks you out of the store and make sure that they get your money and you get your eggs and then you come back and you chuck them into a pen And you could talk about how many processes went into making the pan that allows you to cook those eggs. And so what you can start to see when you do an exercise like this is is that so many processes go into you simply being able to get the nourishment you need to think properly throughout your day, right? And you are so connected to everything else that goes on in the world and everything else that goes on in the cosmos, you might even say. That's an archetypal idea found in mythology, this idea that everything that you do in the sequence of eternal causality does affect the rest of what happens. And that's a very similar way that the Stoics thought about fate, right? Is It's almost as if we are trapped within this wave of eternal causation, where one thing leads to another constantly, and there are always things happening at every angle of the cosmos that are leading us to a certain destination. And it's not necessarily as if it's like a prophesied destination. It's not necessarily like there's a place that we are definitely going to. But the idea is that we're always in this flood of causation. We're always in this flood of events that are leading to the next and to the next and to the next. And that's why Epictetus has this idea that you don't want to just be like the dog who gets dragged behind the cart. You know, you might as well get up and start walking, you know, flow with life. Let, let fate take you where it is taking you. And this is what Seneca is kind of leading us to here in, in this final passage, uh, where he's essentially saying, listen... It doesn't matter whether you find your death at the hands of a tyrannical ruler who has a grudge or or if it's just some common highway robber who cuts your throat. You know, at the end of the day, fate and the eternal sequence of causality has been leading you in this direction. And so, why are you so bothered? Why are you so afraid? Why are you so worried? You know, these things around us are always happening and leading us in a certain direction, direction and pushing us in a certain direction. Just go with it. You know, don't, don't allow this fear of death to constantly be before you and ruining the rest of your life where you should be living and experiencing and engaging with life. Don't let that fear become something that, I mean, takes away from a life that could be well lived. So, I think that really what I take away from Seneca's reading today uh, is this idea that it's so unreasonable to harbor these fears of, of dying in a specific way uh, or of when we are going to die when at the end of the day, you could die at any moment. And on top of that, there are countless ways which you could die. And so really, it's kind of like being afraid of getting rained on when you're swimming in the ocean. <laughs> there's just, there's just no point to it. And all that this kind of thinking is going to do is, you know, add unnecessary and unwelcome anxiety in your life, and it's going to keep you from living a rich and meaningful life, you know, because you really cannot experience your life to the fullest when you're burdened by unnecessary fears and unnecessary anxiety. And this is really the genius behind this idea of learning how to die. It's exactly the same process as learning how to live. You know, when you see just how many superfluous fears and anxieties we harbor within our souls, you start to see how that is detracting from your ability to live a full and rich life. And so, yeah. Seneca's ideas here, really interesting stuff, you know, really interesting stuff that you have to meditate on yourself and you have to really spend a lot of time thinking about in order to grasp them fully and to grasp how they relate to you in your life. But I guess I hope that I've given you some food for thought in relation to these writings uh, that might help you to, uh, to to more quickly and and Uh, efficiently uh, embody these kinds of ideas in your life and to to live a richer and a fuller life as I've discussed. But for now, I'll talk to you in the next episode. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Practical Stoic Podcast. Remember that you can support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash Simon J.E. Drew. There you'll gain access to many exclusive episodes that haven't been released yet, as well as over 200 episodes recorded before 2020. If you'd like to work one-on-one with me as you move towards your ideal, then you can go to simonjedrew.com forward slash coaching. But for now, I'll talk to you next time.